The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. You got your Bibles? Open them to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. We're only looking at verses 15 through 20. Uh, the title of the message is The Greatest Signal. And let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit will now, Lord, the, the windows of heaven be open. We invite your Spirit to fall, to descend, to come upon us, to awaken us. Lord, that our hearts would arise, that our eyes would soften to be able to see and perceive, that our ears would not be dull, but that we would hear what the Spirit would say to His bride and to the church. Let no one be asleep in this hour of human history. Thank you. Thank you, Father. I know that there are many, many uh, years and believers who have gone before us, who are already in heaven, who longed to live in the days that we are living in to see these things come to pass before our eyes. So may you be glorified in all that we share today, and may we be obedient to what you call us to do. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Okay, so we left off Matthew 24, verse 14. Uh, Jesus said, In this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, I know that there's some people that go, well, see, you know, I'm still believing, hoping uh, in the rapture. Uh, how many of you are ready to go to heaven? Like, like, what if? What if the Lord, so there's no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled that the Lord could come. If he wants to, he could come tonight. Tonight, while you lay your little head on your pillow, and then boom, you hear a trumpet, and you're in heaven. And if that happens, no work tomorrow, you're off the hook. Hallelujah. You're good with that. So, but a lot of people say, well, the Lord can't come, the rapture can't happen because the gospel hasn't fully reached the world. Well, the, the missionary groups are getting together and they're focusing in and we're probably within this next decade that's starting in a few weeks. Within this decade, that's going to happen. But I want to say this, what Jesus said is, and in fact, the greatest amount of people that will be saved and the greatest revival will happen even during this last seven years. In fact, in the book of Revelation, it says, I saw a multitude from every nation, every language, every kindred, and every tribe from all over the world, millions of people, and they're dressed in white robes, and who are these? He said, these are those who have come out of the great tribulation. So what I'm saying is, don't, don't say, oh, the Lord delays his coming. He could come at any moment. So this is the time that we need to be ready and prepared. But then in the very next verse, verse 15, Jesus said this. Now, therefore, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, now whoever reads, let him understand. And we're going to stop right there. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Last week, actually the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, the, Daniel, the prophet, uh, who was taken in exile from Israel. They went to Babylon, and there was King Nebuchadnezzar and that whole story, and Daniel in the lion's den. But while Daniel was in ancient Babylon, God gave to him a divine revelation of both the first and the second coming of the Messiah. 
And basically, as God began to pour that out, he showed that it would be 77s or 490 years. And so, look, I, I believe that all the people of the earth have, you know, there's 7 billion people. I think most people really have a longing for a better world. I think that most of us want true world peace. We'd love to see harmony among the nations. I think pretty much everybody would desire to have greater economic stability, that nobody is suffering economically. We'd love to see crime decrease and no longer even be a problem. We would love with all of our technology and medicine and science, I mean, we're unraveling the DNA of the human genome. We'd love to see the elimination of disease and all this crazy chaos to be taken away. And yet, as the smarter we get, <laughs> the, the bigger problems we seem to have. And, and we can't seem to be able to be smart on the one hand and be able to get rid of things like war and abuse and violence and terrorism and all the rest. Well, I want to say to you, all, all who hear this message, every human being, hear my voice. All of your dreams, all of your desires for true world peace and for humanity to become one and to be healed and to enjoy heaven on earth will be fulfilled through the personal coming of the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. That will be the fulfillment of all of our dreams and hopes and desires. But I want to share with you a scripture here, and I want us to read it, and then I want to point something out in it that's very crucial and important. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 21 and 22. Let's read it together. The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return. Three times is the word remnant. Everybody say remnant. remnant. Turn to your neighbor and say, I want to be a member of the remnant. All right, now look up here. This is very important because the Bible talks a lot about a remnant. Yeah, we want the world to, you know, have peace. We want the church to get its act together. We want to see revival break out everywhere. And sometimes I'm sure you feel, as I do, that, you know, I'm trying and I'm praying for it, but Lord, man, my prayers are like a drop in the bucket. What is a drop in a, you're trying to fill up a whole bucket. Man, we want global revival. Lord, we want the last days. Pour out your spirit on all flesh. But my prayers are only a drop in the bucket. Well, I want to share with you that that expression, a drop in the bucket, is all actually God needs. All he needs is a tiny little remnant. When the children of Israel, there were several million of them, they, we don't even know, two to, let's say two to three million, somewhere in there, that after 400 years, slaves in Egypt, boom, God delivers them, Moses is their leader, miracles through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And then they get to the promised land and they got to go in and possess the land. And there were Canaanites there. And God said, okay, Canaanites, you've been here 400 years. I've given you time to repent because of their idolatry, their immorality. And they were, they were doing the grossest things. They were sacrificing little babies to their gods. It was just, and God said, okay, I gave you time. I'm done. You're, you're being dislocated and I'm bringing in my people. But as they go into the land... It says out of the two to three million people that, that, that Israel had 600,000 army. Well, they didn't really have an army, but they had 600,000 men that could go to war. 
But when they went in, here's what Moses basically asked for. He goes, I, I need a thousand warriors from each one of the 12 tribes. A thousand times 12 equals 12,000. Out of 600,000 men, all we need, all God needs is 12,000. 12,000 out of the 600,000 is about 2%. And yet God was able with 2% to bring his power, his presence, his glory, his victory into what he's doing. Hear what I am saying. We don't need to see everything. All we need to do is fulfill the 2%. What I'm saying is your drop in the bucket is exactly all God needs. Because literally God said, all I need is two or three who come together in agreement and then I'm with you and all my power and all of my glory and all my omnipotence and all my omniscience and omnipresence is on your behalf and the full power of my kingdom is available to you. So all we need is a drop in the bucket. Your prayers make a difference. You and I will be part of a remnant. Do you realize that all the way through the Bible, from the beginning to the end, God says, I will spare the whole nation if you just give me a remnant, if you just give me a few, if you just give me a handful. Remember when Abraham was praying, God, would you spare the cities for 50 righteous? What did God say? He goes, yeah. And then Abraham said, would you spare it for 40? God says, yeah. How about, okay, Lord, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to get mad. We're negotiating. Abraham was the original Jewish negotiator, right? <laughs> With God. So let's say there's 30. Yeah, I'll, he'll, listen, I will spare Sodom and Gomorrah for 30 people. How about 20? Okay, yeah, 20. One more time. How about 10? God says, yeah, I'll spare it. But then, sadly, there weren't 10. But that's another story. Anyway, <laughs> he would have spared it for only a few. And that's the remnant all the way through the church, every generation, all the way to the very end, even in the book of Revelation, God does everything on behalf of a small handful or a few or a tiny remnant. So don't be discouraged, remnant, if you're a part of that. Now, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, powerful verse. Here's again that mighty prophet Daniel. In fact, we know Daniel is a prophet because of all people. Jesus said, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Let's read it. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. So last week, um, so by the way, was, you know, God's warrior angels, the leader of the armies of heaven is an angel, an archangel named Michael. Say Michael. 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 He's a warrior. And all the legions of angels that follow after him and work with him. And by the way, two-thirds of the angels remain faithful and loyal to God. Only one-third of them rebelled against him. So the holy angels outnumber the fallen angels. Can I hear a hallelujah, amen on that? 
So there are more that are for us than those who are against us. We talked about how God revealed to Daniel that for both comings of the Messiah, there will be a period of 70 sevens, or a week, 70 weeks. The word week is a Hebrew idiom for sevens. So 70 times seven equals 490. God said, I'm going to do everything within 490 years. And I'm going to take care of sin. I'm going to take care of unrighteousness. I'm going to bring justice to the earth. I'm going to bring my power and my glory and forgiveness and deal with sin and iniquity and and dedicate the, the holiness of heaven will come to the earth. It'll all be healed within 490 years. And it would begin, when does the clock start? From the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, which actually was done by a man named Artaxerxes in history. It's known and recorded. In 445 B.C., he gave the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Boom, the clock starts ticking. And 69 of those sevens later, 483 years later, a man named uh, Robert Anderson uh, wrote a book about the book of Daniel, and he literally took the Jewish calendar and took the very date given in 445 B.C., counted to the day with the Hebrew calendar, and said the end of the 483 years was when literally Jesus was sitting on a donkey on Palm Sunday riding into the city of Jerusalem and the people raising their branches and palms and saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, literally to the day. And then Daniel said, though, after the 69 sevens, after 483 years, Jesus comes in that week. He said something very interesting. He said, but then the Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. What happened to the Messiah? The 483rd year, we only got seven years left, but he was cut off. He was nailed to the cross. He was crucified. He was buried. And then he rose from the dead. Then he ascended. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Oh, wow, we only got seven years left. But Jesus pronounced that there would be a judgment upon Israel for the rejection of the Messiah. Jesus is weeping over the city of Jerusalem. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How I wish I could have protected you like a mother hen and gathered you like little chicks with my arms, but you would not receive me. And therefore, know this, you will lose everything. You will lose your nation. You will lose your city, Jerusalem. You will lose your temple, and not one stone shall be left on top of another. And it happened literally about 40 years later in 70 AD, and the Jews were scattered in the four corners of the earth. Oops, what happened to the, we only got seven years and it's all done. And all of a sudden, the church is born on the day of Pentecost, and Peter preaches, 3,000 get saved, and now an explosive revolution that would go on for nearly, now nearly 2,000 years. The church, do you know that the church is not in the Old Testament per se? It was a secret, which is the biblical word for it, a mystery that none of the prophets saw coming. Nobody understood that God wanted 2,000 years of a church. A Jew and a Gentile come together and make a new bride, living stones in which he would fill them with his, his glory. It was a mystery. So, but then the Lord said, but at the end, we got to still fulfill those seven years. But there has to be an Israel. So I want you to read this with me, Daniel 9, 27. Let's read it out loud. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. 
So he is talking about the prince that should come is the Antichrist. Everybody say Antichrist. Ugh. He's going to come and he's making, he's going to, so this presumes there has to be an Israel in order to make a covenant between them and their enemies. So 2,000 years later, the prophet said that Israel would become a nation again. Jerusalem would come into the hands of the Jewish people again. There would be trouble with all the nations that surround them. There would be a need for a peace treaty. And therefore, here's what I want to tell you. We're, we're now going into the year 2020. There already is a, a reborn, uh, you know, resurrected Jewish nation. There wasn't an Israel for nearly, you know, for 1,900 years. There could be no second coming for nearly 1,900 years. But then Israel becomes a nation. Whoa. Then in 1967, they get Jerusalem. And then now they got the Temple Mount area. Whoa. Now they got trouble, you know, in the Middle East. Everybody knows that. What do they need? They need a peace deal. And what I want to share with you today is I believe that that is the next big event prophetically that is something that we could be seeing very soon, a peace deal, a peace deal between Israel and her neighbors that, that will be approximately seven years. But then in the middle of it, and by the way, the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation is he stops sacrifices. You know what that presupposes? In order to stop sacrifices, you have to have been having sacrifices. And to have sacrifices, you have to have had a temple. So I believe that what is coming in the future, and that's not what I believe. The Bible says not only will there be the necessity of a peace deal, but there also needs to be a temple where they are having sacrifices and it goes for three and a half years. And in the middle of that, uh, which is three and a half years, half of seven is three and a half. And by the way, that's what the whole book of Revelation is about, is the last three and a half years. Because the Antichrist will stop the sacrifices. They stop. By the way, can you imagine, let's say that there is a peace deal that, that comes out and they make some kind of a peace arrangement. And I don't know if you knew this, but according to UN law, going back to 1947 and 1948, um, the, the Jerusalem should be an international city and the Temple Mount should be available and accessible to all the three major religions, Jews, Muslims, and Christians. Right now, basically, it's only available to the Muslims. Jews are not allowed to go there, pray, and worship. Neither are Christians. So what's happening currently today is actually in violation of UN law decided in 1947 and 48. So I think somebody's going to come along and say, hey, we're not following the laws. We already decided way back when. So we need to do that and allow the Jewish people to be able to worship and be able to have sacrifices. Let's say that happens. A peace deal comes. They, I don't know if it'll be a temple, a tabernacle, a tent, an altar, but they start. Can you imagine if Orthodox Jews start sacrificing with blood animals on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. How do you think the world would respond to that? How many think Peter would not be happy with that? <laughs> How many of the rest of the world would are you kidding? Are you bringing us back to what? Killing animals and blood and, and it, it just goes crazy. So three and a half years into it, and that's why Revelation says three and a half years. It also talks about 42 months. 42 months is three and a half years. It talks about 1,260 days. 1,260 days is three and a half years. He comes in and he says, we're not doing that no more. And by the way, then 
He declares, I am the Savior. I am God. I will bring the world into real world peace. But that is going to be the scariest thing of all as he makes that deal and he makes that revelation. Uh, Because he as a man will say, I am your Savior. Did you know that that already happened once in Israel's history? Going back and Brock and Bodhi mentioned Hanukkah. Hanukkah was a time, kind of it's, it, it happened in between the Old Testament Malachi and the New Testament with Matthew. There was a Syrian Greek king who came to Jerusalem. It was part, his part of an empire that he inherited from Alexander the Great. So he's got Israel. He goes, wow, yeah, those are very religious people, but I don't believe in their God, uh, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Israel. I believe in our gods. I believe in Zeus. And also, I don't believe in their sacrifices. I'm going to do my sacrifice. So you know what he did? He went to the temple on Mount Moriah and sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. How many of you realize that pigs being sacrificed on the altar is not good if you're Jewish? That's a no-no, right? So he's doing that. And then he said, I'm going to put Zeus in the holy temple. So he made an image of this idol of Zeus, and he he told the guy who made it, he said, make sure that the face of Zeus looks like me. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes, which means his name was, I am God manifest. So that's exactly what happened, and that's why the Maccabees raised up, and they overthrew him, and they rededicated the temple. I believe what happened in Hanukkah long, several thousand years ago, is going to be replayed again. A man is going to say, I am God. I, as a man, declare to you that I am God. Oh, very interesting. When Jesus came to the religious leaders, and they came to him and they said, we want to kill you. We're against you. You're blaspheming. And he goes, for which of my good works and miracles do you want to kill me? And they said, for no good works, but that you, being a man, claim to be equal with God. That's why they rejected him. But here's the difference. Antiochus Epiphanes was a man saying, I am becoming a God. Worship me as a God. Jesus says, no, I'm not from here. I came from heaven. I am God who became a man. The gospel is that God can become a man, but a man cannot become God. Only God. And that's why Jesus. So that's what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to do the same thing. Now, I want to show you something. Uh, show you a few pictures. I'm going to take you right now because I got this big screen. I'm taking you to Jerusalem. So what are you looking at right there? It's called the Dome of the Rock. Okay, it's the third most holy site in Islam. And basically what's in there, that every famous picture of Jerusalem has this golden dome of the rock. It is the third most holy site in all of Islam. And um, so what's inside of it? it? And by the way, it's not a mosque. It's a dome. It's kind of a historic uh, place that uh, is like commemorating this rock. Because in Islam, in the Quran, it says that Muhammad uh, went on a winged horse to the farthest point, And they believe that is the farthest point, And that from there, his, the horse with wings took him directly up into heaven. That's what Islam teaches, and that's why the Dome of the Rock is so special to them. Muhammad went from here, and he went up into heaven on the winged horse, and they built that shrine or that dome around it, all right? There are other people that say, well, then this is probably the place where the temple was. Um, 
So, you know, there's Jewish people, Orthodox people that go, no, we, we th- are waiting for our temple. We want to do sacrifices. We want to, we've become a nation again. We have Jerusalem again. We control the Temple Mount. We want a temple. And they think that it's, it should be there. But I want to share with you something uh, that you can only know when you go there. Here's another picture, by the way. Here's the, the Golden Dome. And do you see the mountain behind it and then that tall spire in the middle? That mountain behind, above the Golden Dome, that's the Mount of Olives. And there's a, a valley, a deep valley, between the Golden Dome and the Mount of Olives. That's the Kidron Valley. So that's as you're looking at it. But I want you to look at this. So now I've taken you all with me on a tour to Israel. We've gone up onto that. We're on the Temple Mount. There's the Golden Dome right there. It's an octagon, eight-sided building. But where we are is we, I've just taken all of you with me a little bit to the north. And there's another little dome. And that's that little one with the little gray over it. It's called the Dome of the Tablets, or it is called the Dome of the Spirits in Arabic. Because when the Arabs took over Jerusalem from the Crusaders, who took it over from the Jews, it goes all the way back. Uh, they, they, in Arabic, said this is called the Dome of the Tablets, the Dome of the Spirits. In the center on the ground is, a, a, is stone. Surrounding the Dome of the Tablets is pavement stones. But in the middle of that little dome, directly beneath it, it's solid bedrock. It goes all the way down through the mountain. Why do the Arabs call it the Dome of the Tablets and the Dome of the Spirits? And the answer is that they, there are some that believe that that is where the Holy of Holies once was. The Holy of Holies where God from heaven would come behind the curtain and the veil and manifest his glory with what is called the Shekinah supernatural cloud of light receiving the sacrifices of the people of Israel to forgive their sins on Yom Kippur. The Holy of Holies. Well, Here's then something very interesting. The traditional site of where the temple was, some say is the Golden Dome. Well, if you're going to build the temple, they say, well, you would have to tear down the Dome of the Rock. How many of you know that if they tried to take down the Dome of the Rock, we'd have World War III? And then they go, well, then God will strike it with an earthquake or something. Well, I guess he could, but that would still be a problem. Just because it had an earthquake, they would just want to rebuild it. But what if the Golden Dome is not where the temple once stood? What if the Dome of the Tablets and the Dome of the Spirits, named in Arabic so accurately, is the place of the original Holy of Holies? That means you could build the temple right there where the Gray Dome is. You wouldn't have to necessarily touch the Golden Dome, and you could leave those two structures literally side by side. Now, I want to show you something. Uh, Well, here's Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. This is in the book of Revelation. Something very interesting that may come into play with all of this. Let's read this out loud. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. So we're in the book of Revelation. We're in the temple that gets rebuilt in the last days for the last seven-year peace treaty that would come. And then, so John is told, measure it. 
and he goes, measure the, and notice it's not called the temple of the Jews. It is not called uh, the temple of the Antichrist either. It is called the temple of God, the altar, so it's a place where sacrifice is happening and those who are worshiping there. But do not leave out the outer court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given already to the Gentiles. Here's what I want to show you. This is a map that someone made. His name was uh, Professor Asher Kaufman. He was a professor. So in the middle of the, can you see the little eight-sided deal? That's where the Dome of the Rock is, the octagon. That's where the Golden Dome is. And the little red dot up in the red rectangle that you see there, the little red dot is the Dome of the Tablets and the Dome of the Spirits. This is saying, if the Dome of the Tablets and the Dome of the Spirits is where the original Holy of Holies was, the red rectangle around that is where the original temple was, meaning that you could build the temple of ancient Israel, and guess what? If you did, you would not have to touch the Dome of the Rock. In fact, according to the measurements of the Old Testament, the Dome of the Rock would not have to be affected at all because it would be in what is called the court of the Gentiles. And they could literally be side by side, but it only lasts for a few years, and then the whole world goes crazy. Does that make sense? So it's very interesting that uh, John would say that and that we would see that. Now, here's something else. Uh, and, and that is this. Did you know that right now in Israel, there are many of the Orthodox Jews that have been, look, so Christians are reading the prophecies and with Jesus and the New Testament, we're saying, wow, the Messiah is coming soon. It's all happening and accelerating. There are Jewish people who are also believers, not in Jesus, but in the scriptures and the prophets. They go, wait, we believe the signs are here, Israel, Jerusalem, all these movements happening, so we think we're going to build the temple soon, and then the kingdom's going to come too. So we're waiting for the temple. That's the most important to them. But guess what? While we're waiting, we, we could go ahead and build all the instruments necessary that will be used in the temple that are described in the Bible, right? So guess what? They basically have made everything, all the pieces of furniture. They've made the garments for the high priest. They've made the golden crown on his head. Uh, they, they have made, there's the cherubim, made of gold with artisans. They've got it ready for the mercy seat and for the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. Here is the menorah that has to be, that will be in the temple, the seven-branch candlestick, and they've made it. It's of pure gold. It's huge, and it's out visible in the city of Jerusalem so that all of the Israelites can look at it and go, wow, that's the menorah that will go in the temple when the temple's rebuilt, and then it's surrounded with bulletproof glass. Basically, they have everything so that the moment that they say, okay, we found that you guys could actually build your temple or altar or whatever here, leave the Dome of the Rock there, and they'd say, good, we're ready to go next week. They have everything, all of the, they've got the silver trumpets, they got the shofars, they got the priest garments, they have the altar of incense, they've made everything. They're ready to go tomorrow. You hear what I'm saying with that? These are exciting times. Amen? Okay, so read with me 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. This is what Paul's comment on this character that in the beginning, everybody's going, wow, he's a savior. He's brought peace uh, to Israel and her neighbors. And, but let's read it out loud. 
Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That already happened in Hanukkah. That already happened with a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. That's going to happen again in the end and what I believe will be the future. So now I want to ask you a question this morning. What does this have to do with me? Okay, so that's in the Bible. Let's say that's true. And all these things are happening. So what? what is, how does it affect me, my life, living here in San Diego, California, going into the year 2020? I want to give you the answer. Everything. Every, say everything. In Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus is speaking of the final days of the tribulation that will focus the whole world on the nation of Israel. That final seven years, and in particular the last three and a half years, 42 months, 1260 days, is a time which all the prophets, including Isaiah, Jeremiah, the prophet Daniel and Zechariah all prophesied about. They said that last 42 months, that last 1260 days, that last three and, a half, three and a half years, there has never been a time like it on planet Earth. And if those days were not shortened, even the elect would not survive. So now, pretty much my whole growing up life for decades, the modern nation of Israel has increasingly dominated the headlines and become a major focus of world events. And by the way, these events not only involve Middle Eastern countries, but they also impact the great powers of the world. They affect the United States of America. They affect Russia. They affect Iran, Saudi Arabia, and even China is affected, and many of the nations in Europe, because that's their neighborhood. I want to tell you that this morning, right now, there are naval fleets from the United States of America, as well as Russia, and they continue growing in strength, as well as in readiness, in the Mediterranean Sea, in the Arabian Sea, in the Persian Gulf, and all the other pathways of the global economy. Why? Let me just say this very simple, and I'm going to be very blunt and pragmatic. It's not all about religion and fighting religious wars. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. There's another side of that coin. Do you know why we're all there? Why we're all interested in how it will affect you and me? Money. Those of you that are historians and who know the layers of history and study what's happened geopolitically and in the past know that wars are not just about borders and nations and people. It's about the flow of money because money is power. World War I had its roots in economic battles. And World War II, many say, was really not even a new war. It was a continuation that began in World War I. And it was also, at a very, very, very deep level, about money. And the reason the nations in the world, the U.S. and Russia, let alone Israel and Iran or China and Asia, are all in that little part of the world, is about the flow of oil and about the flow of money. So uh, what I want to say to you is what the Bible says, and it's no big secret, uh, is that war is coming. 
And there's going to be another war. Now, there's going to be another world war. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see that that would happen. But I want you to follow this very simple progression. Because I, as I mentioned last week, Jesus said the major sign that you're entering the last days, as he gave them a forecast of the next 2,000 years, the biggest sign of the birth pains of the coming of the kingdom is when world wars happen. He said, you're going to have lots of wars, regional wars. Eh, don't get excited. That's going to go on for 1,900 years. But when you see, and here's the Hebrew idiom for world wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, hadn't happened for 1,900 years. Only in the 20th century did we have what we now call World War I. And in World War I, because now you had, at that time, modern weapons being used, something happened that had never happened in human history and all the wars combined. 40 million people died. Can you even begin to fathom the staggering number of 40 million men, women, boys and girls, grandpas and grandmas, babies who lost their lives in World War I? So after World War I, the world was horrified and shocked and they got all the nations together and they said, we can never let that happen again. And they formed the League of Nations to ensure that the world would never do that again. And what happened, you know, four decades later or less, it happened again. And then we had bigger weapons, more sophisticated weapons, atomic weapons, and over 70 million people lost their lives. To the horror of the world again, they got together and said, the League of Nations didn't work. We need something new. So they formed the United Nations. But what I want to share with you is that that's not going to stop another world war that at its roots all goes about the flow of money and power. There will be a World War III. I'm not saying Armageddon necessarily. That's for the end of the end. But a world war will come. And the response is that the nations that survive that one will get together and will form, I believe, what is now being already discussed and talked about around the globe, the new world order. And let's say we can never have this again. We've got to make sure that we can see everybody, track everybody, know everybody's movements. We'll have the technology and the ability, and you cannot buy or sell or do anything unless we know what you're doing, and the world will be forced to come together as one. I want to share with you this. Last month, the month of November 2019, in Atlantic Magazine, a well-known magazine, Michael Oren, the former Israeli ambassador to the United States, wrote an article declaring that, quote, Israel is preparing for open war. He said the senior ministers of the Israeli government met twice last week to discuss the possibility of open war with Iran. The Israeli Defense Forces, meanwhile, announced the adoption of an emergency plan codenamed Momentum to significantly expand Israel's missile defense capacity, its soldiers' preparation for urban warfare house to house, Israeli troops, especially in the north of Israel, have been placed on war footing. Israel is girding for the worst and acting on the assumption that fighting could break out at any time. So let's move on from there, and we'll go to the last section of verses. Jesus tells those who see what Daniel prophesied to run. So look with me in verse 16. In verse 16, Jesus says, then, so when you see this abomination, the Antichrist, stopping the sacrifices of a rebuilt temple, it breaks the peace deal, obviously. 
Then let those who are in Judea flee. That, the Greek word used there is where we get our English word fugitive. Jesus just said, run as fast as you can to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. You know what that means? In Israel, Mediterranean climate, people don't have roofs like we have, you know, the A-frame or the tile and all of that. It's a flat roof. And you know what you use your roof for? It's nice in the evening and the sun goes down and it's cooler and you see the stars and you have your barbecues. It's your family room. So what Jesus is saying is if you're in your family room on the roof and you hear that the abomination of desolation, what the Antichrist does, don't even go down your, and get anything out of your house. Run down the stairs and flee and run to the mountains. Do you know that the, this happened already to the Jewish people? And guess where they fled and where they ran? The modern country of Jordan. I think they're going to do that again. Verse 18, and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. If you got your bib overalls and work, you don't go home and get a change of clothes. It might be too late. But woe to those who are pregnant, verse 19, and to those who are nursing babies in those days. So pray that you're not, uh, you know, a young mother with a little baby. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world, until this time no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But as for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. What is Jesus talking about here? The prayer is not on the Sabbath, it's not a winter. He's literally, he's not talking about us necessarily here in San Diego. He's talking about the Jewish people who live right in Jerusalem, where the Antichrist is, and where he makes that decision and focuses everybody on him and worship him. He says, run and flee. So that is what he told them. This is what Jesus has laid out. And all of this is laying a foundation, uh, basically, that says this. The king is on his way. And God is going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. This is not a day to live for yourself or live for the American dream or for your own little kingdom or live after the flesh or be living in a compromised life. This is where you are focused on the Lord. Your heart is on fire. Your lamp is trimmed and burning. You're being a light to your families because within a blink of an eye, you're going to be face to face with him. And whatever is here will be left behind and you will be with him for all of eternity. Wake up, get ready. The kingdom of heaven is on its way. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.